This is Alan Olson's America Dreams, the keys to life success, where we talk about how to live the life that you want to live. And this is Nadine Camera. What are your dreams? What do you want out of life? And what defines success? Welcome back. Well, today we have another exciting show. We'll have Wally Holly. He's one of the co-founders of InterWest Partners, a venture capitalist here in the the, uh, Silicon Valley. It'll be exciting to hear about what he's done and and, uh, how he's become a success in life. No, he has lots of good stories. I guess he's been around since the early 70s, since venture capital emerged into what it is today. But uh, before we get to there, I want to talk about a leadership moment. Uh, some people come to a point in their life where they realize that life does not go on forever. They want to find more meaning to their life. Uh, it can stem from some significant event like a health challenge, a career challenge, family challenge. You know, I have a friend whose health became very poor, and uh, he realized that as he went through his health challenge that he wanted to spend more time with his family. Well, you know, I've had my share of health difficulties, and I understand what it's like to actually face your mortality and realize that it doesn't continue. Even in my parents, as I watch them grow old and see that they're not the old mom and dad I used to have before, my dad has since passed, but as well as myself, it's interesting to see that and look back when I was young and thought I would live forever. <laughs> you know, isn't that so true? And that the, the uh, you know, I, I remember in, right after high school the feeling that I was absolutely invincible. I could jump off cliffs <laughs> into the water and nothing would ever destroy me. And, uh, you know, and then you get older and it kind of settles in. You realize, you know, it doesn't go on forever. It doesn't. Alan, what is your advice when people um, come to a point in their lives where they have the opportunity and desire to change? What do you advise that they do? Well, there's basically five steps that I see a person needs to go through to change her life. Um, Change is not always easy. You know, it's like, uh, you know, if you you want to get what you have today, keep doing the same stuff and you get more of it. But if you want a different result in life, then you have to do something different. So the first place to start is you got to think differently. You must have a willingness to change in your life and not turn back to the past. Uh, the next area is focusing on relationships. Um, who do you know? Who do you like? Who do you trust? You know, where you're at today and when you're looking for a change, you know, who do you want to seek? Uh, a lot of people that are starting businesses may have financial difficulties, say, I need some money, I need to do something different. And uh, the best place for them to start is to draw on a network. You know, who's been successful in their field? Who can enable them to get to where they, they need to be? Next area is to work smarter rather than harder. Uh, you know, that's always something that when you're looking at working smarter, you need to involve other people. Uh, it's not just about you. Um, my advice from people starting a company, as I said, it takes more than one person. You've got to engage somebody to be with you and get them involved in the process. And the more people that you can bring along, then the more successful that company is bound to be if everyone stays committed into building a successful organization. Um, fourth area is communicate. You know, that that you not, need to not only communicate, but you need to listen and persist. Um, your communication skills will be a factor in others' willingness to work for you. Um, take the time 
to listen and communicate with others. And, you know, a few weeks ago we had on uh, Liz Wiseman, and Liz was all about motivators and, and multipliers and, you know, people that that like to be around other people because they make them feel good. They make them feel like they're worth worth a million and uh, and and that putting that self-esteem in, inside of them really um is what advances cause and uh, and and also gets other people engaged with uh with with you and then last area is focus on success in order to be successful you have to believe that you're successful and every company or individual whatever they're going through we're, we're all going to Face bumps in the road, right? And um, and and when we start to um, face the uh, the bumps, we need to be persistent about it. We need to to stop and look at uh, in order for me to success, be successful. And I've come to this crossroads. Where do I need to reach out in order to overcome the obstacles that currently rest in my path? Um, you know, and, and then also how you how you define your success there. Um, is is success in the case of a business all about the money? Uh, most entrepreneurs, when they start businesses, they're not focused on money, but they're focused on change, disruptive change, and and trying to make a difference. Um, so you need to look at your motivating factor. What what your focus is on success? Are you focused on the money? Or are you focused on fame, or is it really making a difference in the lives of others? So those are the uh, the five factors, again, are think differently, focus on relationships, learn to work smarter rather than harder, communicate, listen, and persist, and focus on success. Well, so for an individual that's halfway through their life, what do you think the odds are for them uh, changing their financial circumstances? Well, I don't think age is the barrier. I think Colonel Sanders, when he started Kentucky Fried Chicken, was 67 years old. There's a lot of people that have started late in life, and they've um, they they've used their passion and the motivation to to make a difference towards uh, towards defining a new a, a new life for them. Wow. It's um, you know you, you really got to measure when uh, when your end game comes up. All of our rope of mortality will eventually run out. Um, but you got to look at what do you want people to say about you after you go out of this life. Uh, they're not going to care about what kind of car you drove or what type of house you live in, how much money you had in the bank. Uh, you look at uh, Steve Jobs recently passed away within the last four weeks. Now he made a difference, but. In all the commentary that that I'm hearing out there, rarely was well. How rich was the guy? Right. Yeah. You know? Yeah. What What did he make? And few people care, but but they're certainly caring about the differences that he made into their lives. Right. The Apple iPhones, the iPads, and all this uh, newfound technology has just really changed life. So whether or not you're you've been ill or facing financial circumstances, the fact is that individuals can create the type of life they, that they want. Everyone's circumstances might be different, but absolutely, we choose how we deal with them. Absolutely, yeah. and I met an individual today who she's been through uh, three heart surgeries and uh, just born with a defect, and um, and and so we talked about it. And I said, "Well, so what's it been like? Uh, this individual's." 16 years old. Oh, dear. And um, she says, you know, I've, I've learned to have a lot of gratitude for my life and, um, and, and viewing life much differently because of the, um, 
the perspective that I've been given about, you know, being given a second chance. I had three friends at the children's hospital with me that did not make it. So, Wow. What an amazing story. So I, I think when you look at life, you know, start with the end in mind. And ask yourself the question, how do I want to define success? What do I want people to look at in my life? And how do I want to, you know, be, be spoke about? Yeah. So, well, this is Alan Olson's America Dreams, the Keys to Life Success. We'll be right back in a moment with Wally Holly, the co-founder of InnerWest Partners. Welcome back. Today we have with us Wally Hawley, the co-founder of InterWest Partners, one of the largest venture capital partnerships in the United States. Wally, can you tell me what you do with your position in the company? Well, of course, right now I'm out of InterWest. It continues, but I'm doing angel investing on my own. But when I was there, I was one of the two co-founders, so we sort of overlooked the various investments that the fund was making and then helped raise the money for them. So uh, how many years have you been in the venture industry for? I started in 1972 with a Dutch company, and then in 1979, we decided that venture was going to get big, although we had no idea how big, and we formed InterWest in 1979. Wow, and that's located here in the Silicon Valley? It is. They're on their 10th fund. Wow. So you've seen a lot of change over the years then. Yeah, absolutely. So if we bring this fast forward up to date, what recent trends have you seen in the venture capital industry in the last couple of years? Well, I think you can divide that kind of into three segments. Uh, The money coming into the venture capitalists, the money the venture capitalists are investing, and then the money that they get back when they get initial public offerings or whatever. The money coming into venture capital is declining, and it's been declining because the returns were not that good in recent years. But there's still a tremendous amount of money out there available for the companies. So there's no shortage there for that, and there's a lot of activity. But I would say that the venture capitalists are a little more sensitive to how much time it will take to get to exit because of the difficulty in raising additional money. And then the third, uh, for companies and entrepreneurs, uh, it's a wonderful world because there's many venture firms, thousands more than there were when I formed InterWest, and a lot of money available to these people who want to start these companies. And that's really the good news. So now you focus back into angel investing. And uh, for, for the listeners, angel investing represents basically the seed capital? No. What angel investing is is you are doing your own money as opposed to going out and raising money from other people and then investing theirs. Mostly angel money are from people who have done well either as like CEOs of companies or general partners and venture funds, and then they just decide, I don't want to run somebody else's money anymore. I'll just do my own. So someone's coming to you, Wally, and saying, uh, Wally, I need some money. Uh, what are some of the things that you look at and going through the process of making a decision? Am I going to be involved with this investment? Well, first of all, for me, and this isn't just typical for venture capital, I'm concentrating on education. So you get my attention if you have something in education. And if you don't, you may have a very good company, but it's just not fitting the profile of what I'm looking for. Beyond that, it's people, first, second, and third. I want to know who's leading this and what they're like. Okay, so we uh, so educational uh, 
companies primarily. So let's go to this topic. What what trends have you seen in the education market? Maybe can you go elaborate on uh, recent trends and what's developing? Sure. Uh, If we go back about 10 years and uh, somebody had an education company and he came to a venture capitalist for money, they would say, well, I might as well throw it out the window because I'm not going to make any with this, and and, uh, so I'm not going to do anything in education. This is really changing rapidly, and there's been a great interest in education because of the need for change, and that's at both the K-12 through level, and it's also at the post-secondary and post-graduate school record, uh, and what we're really seeing is right across the board, there's all kinds of educational companies being formed, and a lot of it relates to the fact that technology is permitting us to do education differently. Interesting. Do you see uh, disruptive technology now in this market? Very much so at the college level, somewhat at the K through 12. But at the college level, a lot of these colleges were formed on the basis of things that were developed centuries ago, not decades ago, and they haven't changed. And what's happening is because of the difficulty of, of getting money, high tuitions, first of all, for people who can't afford it. But in the case of state universities, the money isn't coming from them, from the states. So in disruptive technology, they really need to change their approach. Yeah, the the timing seems very, uh, very much needed for disruptive technology. We see all this in the news about the states running into their budget crisis and the teachers are you know, wondering, are we going to get paid or what's going to happen to pensions and all this uh, financial crisis. So maybe, could you elaborate on some of the, the, uh, the solutions that are coming out there where maybe technology can fill in gaps? Probably the most important one for me anyway is distance learning. And the advantage of that is that you can take someone who uh, can't go to the college geographically but can go through distance learning. And also for the colleges, they don't have room for more people. They don't have seats. So what happens here is we are working with distance technology in a couple of companies that I'm involved in with the idea that we're trying to accept people, not reject them coming in. And so I'll give you an example with the teachers. If you want to get a master's teacher's program, under the old thing, you have to leave your job, go to a university, pay maybe thirty or $40,000 to get a master's. With our system, you can get it from a great university like Texas or Arizona State or Purdue. They use our distance learning system. They stay and teach where they are. And in one case, the cost of a master's is $5,000. $5,000. Oh, my gosh. And, and you get the uh, the certificate with the name of that school. And, and same teacher, same instruction, same curriculum. And it's with our technology that we're doing this. So we are doing this for state universities, uh, and it allows them then to help their funding as the states give them less money. They are getting more by adding students through this distance learning without any additional expenses on their own. So what stage is this? Is this are we just at the beginning of this trend now? Uh, early. We just had a conference of the state of the future of universities Uh, And basically, it was this disruptive technology was the whole theme, and a lot of it built around this distance learning. We had over 100 state universities come and hear about what was going on, and we're getting a lot of people in our company signing up to have us do this for them. 
and I would say in the state universities, it's still a small part, but everybody's becoming aware of it. When you have a hundred of these presidents and provosts coming to hear what's going on, you know they're looking at it. What drives a university to say, we want to go to this more online? Obviously, they've built out infrastructure and classrooms and, you know, but what is the, uh, you know, from from your opinion, the, the, the primary factor of why are they pushing in this direction? I think you need to d- divide that, Alan, between the state universities and private universities. The state universities, it's very simple. They're not getting the funding. University of California has 40,000 students that are eligible to go, and they can't take them. They don't have room. You do distance learning, they can start taking those, and these are fully qualified people. So it's it's money in the case of the state universities. In the case of the private ones, some of them just think that this is an opportunity to share the talent they have in their professors uh, with others. Uh, MIT is doing this where you can go on in and take their courses. You can't get a degree, but you can take their courses for free. Stanford has a professor in the engineering department who teaches one course on artificial intelligence. They have reached 135,000 students with this course. Now we're beginning to see the scale of uh, this information age coming available. Absolutely. And and I guess they can be anywhere in the world. Yes, um, well, if I had, if I was someone that had an idea and needed an angel investor in creating some type of company or business in education, uh, what would be the cornerstones uh, of of building my business plan that you would want to see as an angel investor? Well, first and foremost, again, as I said earlier, it's, it's people. I want to see an outstanding leader. Uh, people talk about that, but they always violate it and get mesmerized by the size of the market or the technology. I want to know who you are, what your capability is first, or your team could be a team. Uh, Beyond that, uh, I want to know that you have something that is significantly different rather than me too. There are a lot of content companies that yours is a little better than someone else. That doesn't do it. It's got to be something that changes the system. uh, And I think uh, the other thing I want to see is that it's really scalable. I don't want to see something that's fairly small or narrow. Uh, I want it to be applicable around the country, if not, as you say, Alan, internationally. So let's go back to this education market because uh, I'm intrigued with this, this online learning system and the fact that you're becoming, you know, you're getting involved at the ground floor. Um, answering the question Who's behind this? In other words, any software programmer say, I have an online education system. You know, what differentiates what you're doing? Maybe who is that, who's at your conferences talking about online learning and, and, and pushing for this? Well, see, we are not a software package. We are a system that's migrating on. So the people that are using our technology are actually seeing the professor live. It's not a canned program. Okay. And what we're doing is we're saying, all right, where can this technology be used? So I mentioned the U.S. one. Uh, We have another company run by the same group of people that are actually buying universities down in South America and then putting the distance learning on. So we own universities in Brazil, Argentina, Peru, Chile, Colombia, Panama, Paraguay, and we buy those. They don't have distance learning. We put it on. And through that, we hope that we're going to move up the percent of people in South America who have a university degree. 
It's very small right now. So not many of them can really work effectively in the community if they don't have an education. Well, we'd like to take that percentage up through the online learning. You know, I heard a comment recently that we kept talking about demographic trends and the baby boomers aging, and uh, they they mentioned that uh, the way it's going to get solved is to bring these third world countries into the pictures by lifting their education level. And, And so you're just confirming that right now. And you know, some of the South American countries, Africa, are they? Uh, we're not doing anything there yet. You, you know, you have to pick your choices. I mean, South America is a pretty big shot to go after. No, I agree with that. I agree with that. So, well, Wally, this has been, uh, you know, enjoyable to listen to the online education. We've got to take a quick break, and uh, we'll be right back after these messages. Welcome back. This is Alan Olson's American Dreams, where we have with us today Wally Holly. He's the co-founder of InterWest Partners and an active angel investor. Uh, we've been talking about education. Uh, we just learned from Wally about factors that can affect venture capital and uh, getting involved with different organizations, and Wally's had a passion for the education. Uh, one thing I'd like to know, Wally, though, uh, what are the criteria that you use when determining whether or not you're going to become involved with this company. And this would be involved both for companies and nonprofits. Uh, I have a very clear template which allows me to sort things out pretty quickly. There are three things I'm looking for. I'm looking for an outstanding person or team. That's number one. The second is I want to see something that can be scaled because I'm a scale kind of guy. I don't want something that's small. And the third one I learned from Peter Drucker when he told me don't get involved in fixing things because you'll put in a lot of energy trying to do it based on what you'll get. Get involved in joining something that is growing and successful and build with it. If I see those three things, I'm interested. If any one of those are missing, we go on from there. Wally, would you agree it's true that success begets success? Or those individuals that have done something once successfully usually tend to continue on that that path? Well, the example we used earlier on the education companies, both the one with the state universities and the one in South America, and there was one he did before that uh, in literacy, same guy. He's on the second and third successes. That's amazing. So does the structure of the organization or of the group that you're looking into become, you know, really the determining factor? Um, I don't think so. Uh, Structure is more like boxes and, you know, who reports to who and how it's organized. Remember, boxes represent people. So I got a lot of flexibility on how you want to structure it, but I want to know who you're structuring it with and the people. So... I don't have any kind of a formula that says a structure ought to look like this. Many different structures will work. That makes a lot of sense. Well, so. Wally, I understand you're involved with Stanford University and yes. also Young Life. Yeah. Can you tell me a little bit about your involvement? Sure. Uh, Stanford, I'm on two boards there. Uh, one is the Stanford Institute for Economic Policy Research. I'm chairman emeritus, which I now realize emeritus is over the hill as near as I can tell. Uh, that is a nonpartisan group that in, impacts economic matters in our country. Uh, I really enjoy that. It has scale. It has impact on uh, what we're doing. The second one, which is more recently, I've been put on the Stanford Alumni Board. 
So I'll be working with Stanford on a number of things through the alumni, which they have a very aggressive and, and robust program. Uh, it's giving back is match what it really matters. You know, it's interesting. Uh, last night I was at a dinner with the president of uh, Stanford, President Hennessy, and uh, Eric Schmidt, uh, the CEO and chairman of the board of Google. And uh, it, it, it goes along that uh, Stanford has really done a tremendous job in contributing a good feeder mm-hmm. system for the venture capitalists. Absolutely. Uh, now, in the case of Young Life, this is a Christian youth organization. I've been involved with this many years. Uh, and I've also been chairman of that, as well as on the board. Uh, we have weekly uh, meetings with uh, junior high and high school people where we expose them to the gospel, but also have a lot of fun. Young Life reaches a million people every week in the United States, and we are now in 70 countries. And our target is to go to 2 million. So here we come back to scale, but it also plays to my interest in uh, the Christian world. Okay. Now, is Young Life involved with any particular uh, religion? Is no. It, so it's not Catholic or Baptist? No, it's just exposing uh, people to the gospel, to the Bible. And, wh- and, and so with, with Young Life, then, as uh, you got a million youth out there, you got a chance to really make a difference in, uh, in putting an organized group together. And if you could give a message out there, Wally, which you do, to the youth today, and let's let's take somebody who's kind of just getting out of school, okay? Um, what would it be? Well, I hear people when they're coming out of school that they have a uh, they're talking about a wonderful game plan of ten years from now I'm going to be here and here's my career. My general advice is forget it. Uh, none of us really know where we're going to be ten years. I didn't. I'd never heard of venture capital. Uh, I, my recommendation is you find something that you really love to do and do it well. And if you love it and do it well, the opportunities are going to come. And they may come within the organization that you're doing it, or they may come from others. And I think the successful people, maybe their careers have wandered all over the place, but it's essentially been success to success. So do what you love and do it well. And don't overplan. With with Young Life, do you have any uh, additional criteria? I, I heard about a gospel-centered, a getting a foundation for the kids. How are the youth doing today, though, overall? Well, I'm encouraged at how many people uh, are coming into this. Uh, it's growing. I mean, we're just one of a number of Christian organizations. I think they're doing well. Youth has a real problem in terms of the rapidity of our technology and the demands on them. Uh, it's, it's a tough time to grow up compared to when I was growing up. But I think if you get these bases of, uh, well, I'd say uh, systems or ethics, principles, uh, you know, that works. And I'm encouraged about that part. But I'd like to see it a lot larger than it is now. And so in the case of Young Life, we are moving from just being in junior high and high school to putting it on college campuses as well to extend it out. And they use this as a base, basically a social group to hang together. And do they have a st- gospel study and stuff together through the Bible or what? Yeah, we have uh, not only the weekly meetings, but we have very sophisticated camps in the summer that they go to. And our, our message in Young Life is every kid should have a right to hear the gospel, but it's a sin to bore a kid with the gospel. So we have a lot of fun while we're doing it. Well, you got it to keep youth engaged today. <laughs> keep me engaged. 
<laughs> so, well, if we uh, if we come back to this on the, um, I'm going to switch over a little bit. Of, uh, there was a book that you were quoted in by uh, Bob Buford called uh, Half Life or Half Time, and um, and you know he was talking about uh, the basically the first part of your life you you spend acquiring things and money, and the second giving back. Yeah, well, uh, Halftime was actually the book about Bob's thing. Uh, the thing where he quoted me was in a book he, he wrote called Finishing Well. And the Finishing Well was about people who had done, quote, well, and generally financially, uh, and then decided to spend, as do I, a lot of your time giving back and helping. Uh, and it's just very, very satisfying. I mean, I had a chance to continue to continue with my fund in venture capital and the question was, why sign up for another 10 years and just build a bank account? There has to be more to life than that. You know, I, I really love that perspective. Um, in fact, I've known you for a number of years, but, you know, hearing about, oftentimes you hear about people, well, you need to give back, and they're like, why? I'm, I'm going to save for my retirement. What, tell, tell me about your experience. What have you really found in the giving back well, for me, giving back, it's not just money. Uh, we don't write checks. Our family foundation has a guideline that if you want the family to give, then you need to be involved in the board or active. It's giving of your talents, your experiences, your wisdom, if you have it, your Rolodex, whatever, helping these people. So it's a hands-on uh, kind of giving back, not just write a check. So you see that people are really committed into into the organization there. Yeah. And that's where you get the pleasure. I mean, just writing a check, there's not a lot of joy in that. You do a lot of travel around the United States and you're involved with Young Life? or No. Uh, that's why I got good people was under me as chairman who did the traveling. <laughs> <laughs> well, that makes sense. It, uh, you know, so what, what, other, uh, what other messages would you give to the youth today? Well, I think how you use your time. Uh, we're all very busy. We all add things of, of, uh, to our life. And I think you need to think about how are you spending your time and your priorities in that. And uh, they have less time to make these decisions than we had when I was growing up. So pick the things that you really think are important, hopefully from a ethical point of view, and work on that. And don't get involved in too many things. Well, that makes sense. You know, with this advancement of time, it um, you know, since disruptive technology is out there, they these kids have to move quickly, and uh, they they don't have that opportunity to wait. And it's interesting that you had raised the fact of managing time because we were just speaking about that earlier in our segment about the importance of making goals and actually planning out um, your time. You know, when for the day or ninety day plans or you know, one-week plans, and organizing your time so that you can be the most productive with your with the time that you have. Well, I think the key there is making sure that, that what you're doing is useful. People say, you know, I'm very busy. Busy is not an outcome. It's a condition. So when somebody says busy, yes, doesn't it, tell me anything. That's right. Got it, got it. Right. Well, Wally, this has been a pleasure having you here today on the show. And... Um, Thank you for, for all the insight about venture capital nonprofits. This is Alan Olson's America Dreams. We'll be right back after these messages. 
Welcome back. This is Alan Olson, and it's uh, been fun fun having Wally on this show. Wally Holly, we just got done talking to him. The co-founder of InterWest Partners has had a very successful venture capital career and is now in the angel investing mode of where he's looking to revolutionize education by not only doing the funding of some of these companies, but also staying involved with their boards and seeing to it that the education market can expand to individuals that would not have otherwise have opportunities. Yes, and Wally was involved in young is involved in young life, and he gave some interesting comments. Alan, he he uh, when you asked him what he would uh, advise youth of today, he said, "Have a passion for what you do," and I thought that was very important. So I'm going to ask you, Alan, if once we find that passion for what what we really want to do in life. How would you put time management principles into action so we can really develop that plan? You know, it's interesting that the more we go through life and as this technology increases, life just gets to be more complex every day. You know, it, it used to be you can write a letter and it would take a two weeks for the return to come back. Now there's an email or even texting. My kids don't answer phones. They text. <laughs> you know, what do you need, Dad? <laughs> and, uh, and and there's this immediate response. There's just-in-time response. And so, it uh, you know, the burden there is that obviously we're becoming more efficient in what we do, but our time is so valuable. Yes. And so when we look at this um, this area of, of having a passion for something, I, I think the focus there is is not letting time get in the way of us pursuing what we really want to do. Exactly. And that's when you have to put some management principles into, into place. Uh, do you have any personal plans that you use for your family? Oh, absolutely we do. You know, when, when uh, my wife and I were married, uh, we'd been married for... Oh, a long time now. I want to say 20, 26 years is coming. Uh, no, so 20, 27 years is December. Wow. Um, Congratulations. Thank you. And, and you know, when we first got married, we, uh, we kind of worked life backwards, and we said, well, where do we want to end up? And uh, we looked in the 80s, you know, when we're in the, the mid-80s or the twilight of our life, and we said, well, we realized that, you know, what we make doesn't go with us. And, but we want to focus on things that really mattered. And so we felt... Family. Family right. matters. And uh, we decided that uh, it wasn't going to be about our kids, but our grandkids. So Interesting principle. We had to, we had to, to uh, make sure that the odds were with us. So we had seven kids. And, uh, and it, it's been a wonderful experience, but we're hoping for lots of grandkids. Well, with seven, I'm sure you'll be blessed with quite a few. <laughs> <laughs> Fingers crossed. You know, in, in fact, it, it just... Seems to come at once. This summer, we had uh, two of our children get married 10 days in part. And uh, we had four different states involved with uh, weddings, receptions, and open wow. houses. So it was, uh, it, was, it, was, it was a time management time. Yes, uh, quite <laughs> Quite a bit, quite chaotic, I'm sure as well. Well, let me, let me walk through. So our family, we have what's called a, a, a family plan. Um, in terms of, you know, looking at defining where we want to end up in life, you know, where, where's our values at? What's the process? And so we've, we've kind of defined that, uh, in our life, we need to make sure as we go through time that we need to manage it properly. So we put basically four quadrants into place. We have our family time every Monday night. We have what's called a family home evening and family councils. 
uh, we get the group together, and everyone participates at some different level. Um, and, and then we make sure that, that we spend at least a, a meal a day or in the morning we read scriptures, uh, that we spend some time together with the whole group. That, that's excellent. So someone, a high-powered executive like you, still finds time away from work and all the complexities of managing a CPA partnership, still find time to put that back with your family. You know, it's easy, it's easy to lose track about what's really important. Um, but people that have a near-death experience are not asking, how quickly can I get back to the office? All of a sudden, this realization comes to them that, you know, you know, maybe I need to look at really what's important back in life. And, uh, and so we've always tried to build in to make sure that family time is an important, just as an important role. Um, we also have a, 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 a spiritual section where we look at, you know, what do we want to do with our kids and helping to teach them values and principles and ethics in life. And um, we have another section that talks about our health, you know, uh, trying to stay healthy to live longer and working on, uh, you know, a, a program or eating right, exercising. And then I have the last section of, of work. And so as we as we measure time, we put in, uh, in in a 90 day plan and say, what are the things that we want to do within the next 90 days? And by all means, we're not perfect, but but we got a process that works and that leads us in a direction, a pathway in our life that we want to pursue. And so um, the people that plan their life out and have a balance in life, uh, I feel in the end, they, they, it ends up being more fulfilled. Because they move life with, through life with intention. And, ha- and how do you have that 90-day plan? How do you assure that the items on your plan are accomplished? Well, we actually, we actually put a big poster on the wall. We put all of our 90-day plans and goals up there. It sits in uh, our, our bedroom. And uh, when my wife and I have a discussion and we're trying to come to resolution of an item, we'll go back to the wall and, and, you know, look it up and say, okay, this is what we said we wanted to do. Are these core values still true? And if they're true, then how does this decision get resolved? Excellent. So you go back to the plan to make decisions. And, um, and as far as making your children accountable... Uh, in your family plan, because I'm sure this this personal plan is for everyone, not just you and your wife, correct? Oh, correct. Yeah. Yeah. We have to, well, our stewardship is basically overseeing as parents to make sure that our children are taught proper values. And, um, you know, if, if the, the parents today have that responsibility, your kids are with you for so short of a time. You know, so they get up to high school, and when they get to teenager years, all of a sudden you realize, I have no more control over these kids. <laughs> and they'll be leaving home soon to college, you, you know. It, yeah. it, you really realize how short your time is with them. You have to start, you have to start early, and, uh, you know, but, but that's the way life is. And so we're going to see, you know, these different stages and the kids growing up on us. And uh, but, but as we move through it and we prepare ourselves, the, the goal there is, have we taught the child everything that they need to know? Well, there's time. So what are the benefits of creating a time management management plan such as what you have? I think going through going through the process and with intention, you know, you're picking your pathway versus just wandering through life from crisis to crisis and running to soccer meets or to, you know, the, the swim events or, you know, I mean, life can control you if you don't if you don't take it by the reins. Yes, it can. And I and personally, I, when I look at the plan that you have, 
I see that it helps to create goals. I have a similar plan at work. Well, we write down what we're doing and we plan our days, we plan our weeks, so that and and in that plan is also my personal time with my son, uh, with my family, and and then it helps us to focus on what we're doing and where our goals are. Keep focused on our goals and our values. You need to take the time. My father-in-law said that when he retired, he was going to retire two years early at the age of 63 because all of his friends before him, when they had retired, their health failed shortly thereafter. So he says, I'm, I'm going to do this differently, and I'm going to take advantage of retiring while my health is still there. Well, six months after he retired, he found out that he had a tumor in his colon, and uh, he ended up passing away in not too many years afterwards. But Nadine, it's been a pleasure being with you today again on the show. Yes, well, thank you for having me. This is Alan Olson's America Dreams, the Keys to Life Success. We'll be right back with more information after this short break. Welcome back. Now, Nadine, we started out the show discussing how we individuals can change our lives. And uh, leveraging time is just one way that we can do that. You know, time is a precious commodity. Ellen, I remember in a previous show, we were discussing how everyone just has 24 hours in a day. And whether you're a CEO um, with, with many responsibilities on your plate or a CPA like you managing a large, um, profitable CPA firm, as well as a realtor like me, we each have 24 hours. Do you know someone that you have seen uh, use time, their time management skills to change their position in life? You know, it was interesting. Last night I was at a dinner with Eric Schmidt. He's the chairman of the board and CEO of Google. And uh, talking about this process of change, he was talking about, uh, you know, how the uh, Google had just announced that they were going to put music on their, their Android phones. And bring it, he, he said it'll bring us some parity to uh, Apple's iTunes and, you know, what the iPhone was doing. But one thing that he was bringing out and making the point for the developers, he says, you know, we expect to have a billion users of our, you know, our, our smartphone. Now, could you imagine a developer putting an app on a phone and selling it for 99 cents and, and just now working with the percentages and say that uh, 1% of the the users of a iPhone, you know, subscribe to you know this this app. I mean, the money it's inside that it's absolutely insane. There's no more marketing budget or anything else. It's just that you know you know getting a good app that gets exposure up there and uh, it's really changing lives. It is. And uh, one thing that we don't know three four years from now what. You know, is there going to be something other than the Android? Probably. Um, but the change in technologies is happening so rapidly. And also, as technology changes, so does the demand on our time. It does. For, it, you speak about technology and phones. I have an um, iPhone where you touch it and you can speak. And my son just loves this thing that you speak into and it tells you you t- can command it what to do and now he doesn't even want to text he wants to just speak it because it's easier than to type and so even that is changing the time you know when there's so much pressure on us to make more time even that is assisting and in, in saving time well i i gotta tell you a story so this technology you mentioned the younger generation your son last week i gave my wife an iphone 
I said, here, honey, look at you can get your email, you can text me and you know use this and uh and uh so I handed her the phone, she threw it on the table and was walking out the door. I said, What are you doing? You got an iPhone now. She goes, Why do I need that? <laughs> <laughs> I said, technology. She goes, no. She goes, if I want you, I'll know where to get you. (laughs) Well, it was great being here, Alan, and I certainly enjoyed speaking with Wally. Yeah, it was a lot of fun today. Had Wally Holly talking about education, venture capital, time management. We cover quite a bit today. But as um, as we go through life, it's always a good thing just to remind yourself that our time is limited. We uh, we don't know how long we'll be here. Um, but So take advantage of each and every day. Excellent. And I think that um, also along the line is, that, uh, is the remembrance that you really do stay in control of how you feel and how you react to the situations that come before you. And uh, you can make a difference in your life and also the lives of people around you. And I think as you take advantage of that and follow your passion, you're going to have a more fulfilling life. So this is Alan Olson's America Dreams, where we talk about the keys to life success, talk about how to live the life that you want to live. What are your dreams? What do you want out of life? And what defines success? Nadine, it's been a pleasure being with you today. Thank you, Alan. Thanks for having me. My pleasure as well. Stay tuned and join with us next week here on America Dreams.